Welcome to Clearly Quaker, an ongoing series of podcasts by Salem Quarterly Meeting, part of the Religious Society of Friends. Salem Quarterly Meeting is an association of seven Southern New Jersey Quaker meetings within Philadelphia Yearly Meeting. This podcast was recorded at Westfield Friends Meeting during Haddonfield Quarterly Meeting on February 25th, 2018. In this episode, Linnell McCurry, Associate Secretary for Business and Finance at Philadelphia Yearly Meeting, spoke about dwindling meetings and the need to plan for the future of your meeting house and property while there was still an active membership. Before joining Philadelphia Yearly Meeting in 2012, Linnell had a career in investment as a portfolio manager. She is a member of Lansdowne Meeting in Pennsylvania. The second speaker was Jules Simon, a member of Trenton Monthly Meeting and trustee of Burlington Quarter. He spoke about the laying down of Mansfield Meeting in 1998 and the sale of its early 19th century property to a Muslim group for use as a community center in 2017. Good afternoon, friends. I'm, ha I'm happy to be here. Um, if you go to the um, Friends Historical Library website at Swarthmore Yearly Meeting, you will see um, a list of records in Philadelphia Yearly Meeting that are many, many more than the um, 100 monthly meetings that we have now. And um, they're not just doubled up because of the separation. There are meetings you never heard of. That uh, Many of them preparative meetings that existed in the 18th and 19th century, sometimes for just a couple of decades. Sometimes they were a couple of decades in one location or another. And then they moved on. And I'm pretty sure that this represents the movement of friends from the coastal colonial settlements into the interior, interior of even tiny states like Maryland and Delaware for opportunities in farming and manufacturing. And they, they left us their records, probably not their location. Um, they must have been meeting in a, a little cabin on somebody's property or in somebody's home itself. And when you think about this, uh, the stone meeting houses that we consider old that are like 1750 or so, those are third generation American Quakers who built that for many, many years. Quakers met much more simply in log cabins and in people's homes. And, um, and so when you look at that and look at the demographic flow that's just part of American history, it, it helps me realize that change is always upon us. And things that have been constants in our own life may be changing. And they, of course, there's mourning around that. Uh, it's hard to let go of things. But it's also not inevitable that um, the religious society of friends is tied to its buildings, necessarily. Um, Quakerism has never been associated with place or site. It's instantly accessible to any two or three who choose to worship together. And if we have fewer monthly meetings 25 years from now, but they are bigger and more vibrant, and we have many more worship groups meeting in people's homes or the town library, 
that's fine with me. We have to embrace change and do what's in front of us as responsibly as possible. So I'm going to tell you a couple of anecdotes of um, things that have happened to various monthly meetings and how they've handled them, and um, maybe draw a few lessons along the way. But the one is most current. You may or may not know that um, last Sunday at Buck's quarterly meeting, Bristol Monthly Meeting laid down its monthly meeting status and became a preparative meeting to Falsington Monthly Meeting. They had been working on this for some time. Um, Bristol is down to about six members. And um, as a preparative meeting, they will be uh, allowed in our discipline to have their own investments and their own property. Um, worship groups aren't allowed that, but preparative meetings are. But they felt that going forward, they needed a larger group of people to season any kind of financial or property decisions that came up. So they have aligned themselves with uh, Falsington as a preparative meeting, and everybody seems really happy with that. I mean, I think this is um, something that meetings ought to consider more widely. How can we partner with um, a larger or more vibrant meeting so that uh, should we not uh, be able to regrow, and it's, it's possible that Bristol can, but if they can't, um, they have the people at Falsington to work with and to um, and not only to protect their assets, but to be their, their friend and uh, partners in, in fellowship and to help them make decisions. My own monthly meeting at Lansdowne was a preparative meeting for a while. Um, in 1827, uh, during the split, um, Darby meeting, uh, state Hicksite, and um, uh, 17 men and 30 women decided they were going to be Orthodox and align themselves with the Orthodox yearly meeting at 4th and Arch. So they moved three miles up the road toward Radnor to Lansdowne, which was pretty farm-like then. And they um, uh, built a meeting house and became an Orthodox meeting. But they were also apparently sort of uh, caricaturish um, Orthodox because over the next couple of decades, they managed to read almost everybody else out for <laughs> various infringements of uh, what they considered their rules. So that um, in, by 1849, which is only like 20 years later, they had to become a preparative meeting to the Orthodox meeting at Chester. They just didn't have the membership. After the Civil War, as the railroads went through the Philadelphia suburbs, and little towns like Lansdowne became su suburbs of, um, of the larger city, um, the place grew enormously. By 1900, there was a, a, a revived Orthodox meeting. There was a brand new Friends School, and there was even a Hicksite meeting uh, there as well. Um, the uh, Hicksites and the Orthodox got on so well that they reunited themselves some years before yearly meeting reunited. Now I'd say on a typical Sunday, if we have 17 men and 30 women, that's a good attendance at our monthly meeting for business. So it's hard to say how fast we can grow. Lansdowne is now one of those older ring suburbs. It's gotten a little gray. I don't know whether it will be revived or not, 
But happily, we share, like this meeting, we share a campus with a lovely friend's school. And I know some meetings have um, arranged their property um, through their articles of incorporation or whatever, should the meeting itself falter, that the property will not go to the quarter by default. That's the default in faith and practice. But the assets will go to the friend's school. I'm not sure what Lansdowne's articles of incorporation say, but I think after preparing for this, I'm going to raise that with the meeting and see what we might want to do and how we might want to safeguard um, the, the campus and the, the future in a way that might um, best benefit the school and not burden the quarter. Honestly, I think that's where it's going to go. But that's a conversation that I want to have in my own monthly meeting. And I know of other meetings that have done that. Um, they've made their own arrangements by making sure that their assets would go to the school should the meeting be laid down. Um, third example I'm going to bring up is a meeting you might not ever have heard of. Cecil Monthly Meeting in Lynch, Maryland. Ever heard of that? Okay. Cecil Monthly Meeting was an active monthly meeting for 230 years, from 1698 to 1928. And um, in about 1895, they had a preparative meeting that was inland a little bit toward the center of Maryland in the town that's now Millington, more a farming area. And um, it was called Head of Chester Meeting because um, Millington's the point where the Chester River becomes navigable as it flows out to um, Chesapeake Bay. And they had a, uh, one of the town founders donated land for a little meeting house and a burial ground. First burials were almost immediate. Um, the meeting, the preparative meeting, was laid down in 1847. And the meeting house wasn't raised until after the Civil War. Um, the local historian thinks it might have been used to, for the Underground Railroad, which was why it was left standing. If there's actual evidence of that, it's in some journal or letter that hasn't been discovered yet, but it's not a bad theory. Anyway, the meeting house was raised after, in the, about um, 1875, and the burial ground land was put in the care of a Cecil Monthly Meeting relative who lived in that area. And burials sort of continued sporadically for a while. There were, are a few headstones from the 1880s when they were first permitted. But um, burials haven't been active there for more than 100 years. And when Cecil Monthly Meeting was laid down in 1928, that burial ground um, passed to the Southern Quarter. And Southern Quarter struggled it with it for decades trying to keep it together through volunteer work parties and all sorts of things that were not all that effective. And in 1996, they gave it to the yearly meeting, which is why it's on my plate. <laughs> so we're going from 1698 to my work portfolio in one continuous line because of the way property has um, devolved and people's um, difficulty in making other decisions about it. Um, we have, um, I think, a good practice is to have non-goals as lo long as you have goals. And one of PYM's non-goals, I feel pretty confident in saying, is that we are not in the historic preservation business and we're not in the property receivership business. We took this little burial ground 
1996, but we're not taking any more of them. I mean, things are going to have to be, they all just can't come up to PYM anymore. And with the blessing of the admin council, I'm actually now working with the town of Millington to maybe have this burial ground, which is very plain, it just has a few scattered headstones, um, go into their park system as an historic site and Serenity Park. Uh, they would be able to get state money for a nice historic plaque because it's closely associated with the town's first days. And they could take care of the landscaping in a way. Um, I mean, if a tree blows down, I, I have to deal with it. And it's hard. It's very hard to manage historic property from a distance. And we don't have the resources at PYM to do much more than keep it mowed. I'm sure you don't imagine that your covenant is, is going to, it's only a tiny bit, but y you know, nobody really wants to give their covenant for somebody else's historic property. Uh, the Arch Street Meeting House Preservation Trust is helping raise funds for Arch Street, and we hope to have that increasingly independent from PYM and um, much more um, engaged in the historic preservation community in ways that will bring resources to that. So th those are three things. Find another home for the property, um, give it to the school, um, uh, you know, join a, another monthly meeting. Those are three things that are, are just really recent. And I think the, the questions that um, brought about those solutions are probably in your community. Whether any of those are the right answers or not, I don't know. But I just want to say, uh, to wrap this up and, and hopefully hear your stories, that um, we really need to maybe mourn a particular property and our attachment to it. But we also need to look at our bigger responsibilities to the testimonies of integrity and simplicity and to do what's best in the long run, not only for these particular pieces of property, but for the Religious Society of Friends as a whole, so that when people 10, 20 years, 30 years, 230 years look back, they'll, they'll say they tried to do a good, thoughtful job and make things easier on the future because we have tried to do things in good order and in a way that's um, allowing the future to um, take shape in ways where I'm fairly certain Quakerism will be alive. It just might not look exactly as, as, as it does today. Good morning, friends. My name is Joel Simon. I'm from Trenton Monthly Meeting, and I'm a trustee of Burlington Quarter. Um, Mansfield Meeting, I don't know when it was laid down. Pretty much left abandoned and in poor shape, and the quarter decided that um, they were going to refurbish it and have it as an office for the coordinator, the quarterly coordinator. And so they spent some money and new roof on it and rehabbed half of the building and left the worship side as it was, uh, which was pretty rough. 
but they put in a, a small kitchen and they had a, an office and a little library and restrooms. And, um, <clears throat> when the coordinator was let go, now the building is set again and uh, it became a money pit for maintenance. Uh, so it was decided to sell it and that's the biggest thing is that when, did, when do you decide to sell it and convince friends that it's the right thing to do. And um, they did and what made it easy to sell in one respect is they gave the trustees the power to negotiate price and stuff like that. And uh, so that really <coughs> moved things along where you didn't have to keep bringing it back and you know how Quakers are. <laughs> it could take decades. So <clears throat> they weren't beating their door down to come and buy this building and property. Uh, it had a cemetery and so that created problems of, uh, you know, who's going to take care of that. And so we ended up uh, <clears throat> selling it to a Muslim group who uh, is using it as a gathering place, not as a mosque. And uh, they're not tearing the building down. They have fixed the place up inside, and uh, it's still, as you drive by it, still looks like a meeting house. Uh, I believe the cemetery was taken over. There was an adjacent cemetery called the uh, Mansfield Cemetery Company. I believe they took over the maintenance of that property. And of course, uh, we negotiated with the Muslims to allow access for family and friends to visit the cemetery. And, um, so it's, they seem to be very happy. We're working on uh, getting some gathering between the Quakers and the Muslims uh, to uh, share some food and fellowship. And uh, so that's that's just about it. I mean, uh, it was sold. We got all our money, and they're happy, and we're happy, and the building's still there. Thank you for listening to Clearly Quaker. We hope you have found this podcast thought-provoking. If you have questions or comments, or would like to learn more about South Jersey Quakers, reach us at salemquarter.net.